0: Hey, this is Charles Hayne. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of September 23rd, 2021. I'm here with editor-in-chief of No Film School, George Elliman. Hello. And I'm here with writer and filmmaker and podcaster extraordinaire, Kath Tolentino. Hello. And we're going to be talking about the new iPhone 13 and its incredible array of crazy filmmaking features that you guys should know about. We're going to be talking about a new light from Aperture, and then we're going to be wrapping it all up, talking about the news that's going on with the WGA vote, And the upcoming Yahtzee, or i depending upon your preferred nomenclature, strike authorization vote. All that this week on the No Film School Podcast. All right, our top story this week is a little techie, but it's relevant to all, and that's the iPhone 13 is coming out. Comes out this Friday. I believe these episodes usually drop Thursday or Friday, so it's out today. You should check in on our site because I'm picking mine up at 9 a.m. at the Brooklyn Apple store, and I will be trying to get articles up about real world experiences it that day. So you West Coasters, it might even be up by the time you wake up. Very um there's two, there's two key features here that are relevant to filmmakers. The first is they've added ProRes to the iPhone. So what does that mean? Why do you care? So one thing that you might have noticed if you shoot iPhone is that you get these like really nice images sometimes, right? At a certain angle, at a certain time of day, when the lighting's nice, you get this beautiful image. However, there are a lot of situations where it doesn't quite work. And when you bring that image into post, like let's say you're working with a director and they decide to like shoot an iPhone B angle on everything that you're shooting, which will happen. It happened more often, like they'll own a uh, R5 or something. And they're like, Even though we're shooting Alexa, I'm just going to get extra angles in the R5. But this is similar, where you'll see people do this. And you'll bring them into post, and you can like really push that Alexa footage around. It's got flexibility. You can brighten it, darken it. That iPhone footage looks good, but as soon as you try and brighten it or darken it or push it in any direction, it just falls apart. And that's because it's encoded in a format called HEVC or H.265. And it's a format that's designed to look good, but not to be flexible. ProRes is a flexible format, meaning I should be able to drag it into post. And first off, it should play better on a wide variety of machines. If you've ever like brought in your iPhone footage in Premiere, like said it would play it, but you hit play, and like, you get the little beach ball, and then it stutters, that's because of H.265. It's not good for editing. ProRes is great for editing, and it's great for color correction, and you get all of that in the phone, which is crazy. It's going to eat up a lot of storage. ProRes files traditionally quite a bit bigger than H.265 files, and in fact, some ProRes. If you if you buy the smallest iPhone Pro, you want to go for the Pro to get the full features. If you get the smallest storage one, some of the ProRes options are grayed out because it would eat up too much hard drive. So you're going to end up getting. There's a one terabyte version of the phone now, and oh you my will gosh. want. I know it's crazy. You you might not need that much, but you'll want like the five twelve or something because. If you're going to shoot a lot of ProRes, you're going to eat up a lot of space. But look, depending on what you're working on, the iPhone can shoot some great stuff and you can be more invisible with it than you can be with other cameras. So like there's certainly news arguments for it. There's certainly like activist filmmaking artic- uh, arguments for it. There's a lot of like interesting applications that I think is super cool. There's another feature they've added called rack focus where you know, one of the things about a really small sensor like you've got in an iPhone is pretty much everything's in focus. The smaller the sensor, the bigger the depth of the field. So unless you're like shooting a night interior when you're in really low light, for the most part, you're doing a day exterior. It's all in focus. Now, the new iPhone is going to use all of the sensors they have to create like a 3D map of the scene. And they do something similar already with like if you do portrait mode in the still photos where like the background goes out of focus, it, it, it's doing a 3D scan of the space to make sure like, oh, this is the foreground. I keep it sharp. This is the background. I make it out of focus. But now they're going to let you control it. Like they're going to let you like poke different faces and it'll rack focus from one to another. It uses AI so that like, if it can tell a character's like turning away from the lens, they'll rack focus to the person they're looking at. They even say that they will anticipate someone walking into frame. So as they're walking into frame, it will rack focus to them because the sensor angle is wider than the image angle. And... You know, that's traditionally a pretty tricky thing to do. Like, that's one of the reasons why the first AC is always like looking at the scene and the, then at the camera so that if someone's about to walk into frame, they can rack to them. And this is going to do it automatically. And because it's not actually changing your image, it's digitally applying an effect. It can all be tweaked in post. I think there's going to be a lot of interesting applications. Wait, I'm, so does that, so that means you
1: can see that happen when you record it? You can set, yeah. turn that setting on, your, your subject is in the front of the frame, the back falls off, is out of focus, your subject is in focus. Somebody walks in, in the back, this, thing, this setting will automatically rack to them. And then later, if you're looking at that shot in your edit, and you're like, I don't want it to rack to them,
0: you can undo that. Depending upon the shot. So, like, if it's a really low light shot, the depth of field won't be big enough to keep both of them in focus, so it will have actually racked. But if it's like a day exterior where they're both clearly in focus, it's faking the small depth of field. It's artificially, you know, digitally smushing the person in the background. So, yeah, you should be able to tweak all that in post. We haven't seen the full tool set of what you can do in post and what you can't do in post yet. So, in
1: theory, then, you would like shoot everything all in focus and then just smush the parts you didn't want in focus and then later maybe decide like, ah, no, I'll keep that. But like, basically you expose everything properly and then you can focus however you want on whatever you want.
0: That is, uh, that is like maybe going to be possible here. Wow. What's really cool is that like in the still photo mode, it's already such that like People have figured out how to extract the portrait mode background and use it as a mat in Photoshop so you can do the same things in Photoshop where you have more control. I have a senior suspicion Final Cut Pro will have an update when this comes out, and will have a great tool set in Final Cut Pro when the iPhone launches on Friday. But I also suspect within a couple of weeks, we'll see at least a Premiere update, if not some updates in Resolve and Avid that let you play around with this in those platforms as well. Pretty cool. So, I mean, it's ridiculous. We will see how well it works. I mean, like, obviously, the demos looked crazy good. I mean, they had Greg Fraser and Catherine Bigelow did a short film that just looked ridiculously slick. And so, like, there's good stuff there. But we'll see. I mean, while I'm, I'm always these- dubious,
1: even though I agree it looked great and it was cool to get that with it, I'm always dubious of what they're putting out with the top filmmakers who they hand the cameras to. 'Cause I really want to see like a regular person have it without access to anything else and without Apple being like, hey, let's make this look as like you know what I mean. Like I just wanna see how well does it work in the hands of just a regular person.
0: I also really want to see how well it survives to like client expectations. Like for instance, there was a recent episode of Ted Lasso. Uh, Beard After Dark, that was apparently shot on iPhone. I can't confirm that, but one of the interviews mentioned it. And I remember thinking as I was watching it, I was like, there's something strange about the way they shot this. And like, there are a lot of scenes where the camera doesn't seem like it's in the right place. And like, that director has done other other episodes of Ted Lasso where I didn't notice that, where I didn't have that, like, that doesn't seem quite like the right decision. And this is the first episode. And I'm wondering, you know, there's a huge difference between... I'm making a five minute short film where I can bend everything about the film to the limitations of a technology and an episode like Beard After Dark, where it's like there's a story I'm trying to tell and I have this story to tell and will the tool let me do it? And like 85% of Beard After Dark looks amazing. But then there's some shots where I'm like, the camera should be like a little to the left and a little further in. I wonder why it's not. And then you're like, oh, because it was shot on an iPhone and there's probably some technical imitation of like when it was in that place, it was doing that or something. So it's, it, it is always interesting to see like what can be done on which projects and you never want to back yourself. Like the temptation with a lot of this stuff is to then immediately go out. Like I think about music video directors immediately going out and writing some crazy treatment where they're like, oh, we're going to do this video and we can control all the focus and post. So we're going to do some sort of crazy like narrative thing where we're constantly like changing from the drummer to the lead singer, drummer to lead singer constantly in post. And we can do it in rhythm with the music in a way we never could on set. And then if you don't test it extensively, like backing yourself into a corner where you can do that on some shots, but then other shots, it doesn't work as well. And then the video is not as good as you thought it would be. Like, it's a tricky thing when these new tech roll out, as, as is my advice on everything. It's like test, 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 test. I think it's super cool. I think people will absolutely use it to interesting effect. I also think about students and like how many students in this pandemic year were doing like all of their first year films on their phone at home. And it's like, well, you know, not every student has the brand newest iPhone, but in four years, every iPhone will just have this feature. And I think in the student process of like learning to think about focus and learning to think about focus decisions as a way you focus uh, a viewer's attention, I think is a really interesting tool set. So I'm excited to play with it. I can't wait to get my hands on it.
2: Yeah, I guess my thought about it is like, are we, you know, you mentioned this Ted Lasso episode. Like, are we already in an era where clients are specifically wanting something shot on iPhone, uh, you know, as their artistic preference? And why, why is that other than just? Well, the client for Ted Lasso
0: is Apple. So I can see why Apple. Beyond
2: Ted Lasso, I mean, like, are there other situations where that, where people are wanting this to be shot on iPhone as, as the, because of what it can do? rather than just to be able to say that you shot it on iPhone. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like what's the, where's the iPhone singularity? Like where's the moment where all of a sudden it becomes like a truly viable camera. And are we already there? Is that what is, is, is the 13 that moment or is it still, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. I mean, uh,
0: it's, The thing we're always going to bump up to with these guys is like the overall, like the entire workflow, like syncing the sound with the rest of the team and, and getting real playback and getting real like monitoring. But yeah, I mean, the 13, I suspect you will see more client work on the 13. The 13 might be the first one where client work is done and the client is not sold on it being an iPhone. Like two or three years ago you would have to rope a client into it. And you'd be like, oh, it's going to be part of marketing that we did this on iPhone and yada, yada, yada. Whereas, mm. you know, if if it holds up, this could just be the one where people are like, oh yeah, I shot this on iPhone and the client's happy because it looks great and we're all good.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, I, one of the things I was thinking is that you describe watching an episode of Ted Lasso and saying something is just not quite right here. And what that strikes me as is you being a guy who's almost like looking at things analytically by default and wondering how they're shot and if there's, you know, and all I can think is the average Ted Lasso viewer, the odds that they were watching that episode and had anything beyond a subconscious awareness. As I sometimes tell people with film, you know, I had a friend who contacted me and was like, how? Co- what did they? What's going on with that uh, West Side Story trailer? It looks so different. And I said, "Well, it's probably because you haven't seen 30, anything shot on thirty-five millimeter in a while, and on some level, you're acknowledging that it's different." Uh, the West Side Story trailer, which was dropped a couple weeks ago or something, Steven Spielberg,
2: looks so good, yeah, who, likes,
1: who shoots film, right? And it's just like it's it's eye candy in a weird way because we haven't. He was like, "Is it like old stock or something?" I was like, "No, it's just actual stock as opposed to." you know, what you're used to. It just throws you off a little. So all I'm saying is, I think people, the average viewer, so much of this is invisible beyond a subconscious awareness. And I'm my diatribe here is just that I think it's amazing that we're talking about something like that with a phone. Because when the first, you know, even when I saw High Flying Bird, the Soderbergh movie, and he was putting the phone in interesting places and he was doing stuff that was very you were very aware you know that he was using a phone that those days are are rapidly falling behind us faster there was a time even mentioning on this podcast someone shooting something legit on the phone seemed kind of like a joke but we're not far away from from really really being there to where it's like it may change the nature of production and post production a lot but in the end when someone's streaming it at home the average viewer it will be entirely the same to them is that not crazy to you guys that blows my mind
2: yeah i guess but i'm still one of those people that laments for the days when a phone was just a phone <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know <laughs> like i don't personally i don't need to shoot a movie on my iphone 13 i want like an old school rotary phone and i just want to like not have my smartphone ever but that's just me. I mean,
1: I well, do I miss talking on an old school phone. I got to say, I hate talking on phones now, <laughs> but I I loved old school. I loved, everything sounded different. Anyway, I feel like I'm becoming a very analog seeming <laughs> old man, but like my, I, I just, you know, it's even not just that it's the phone. It's like the big questions of this becoming accessible tools to everyone. And then that's talking true. about yeah. filmmaking 30 years ago where it was accessible only to a percent of people who were trained and we talk about this a lot, but it's just with every little tech step release, we see another thing that just blows it further open and makes it like, you know, a rack focus was like an elite step in. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like, it's like a special move, you know, now it's like, uh, I did it automatically in camera on my phone, but I'm going to undo it in the edit because I don't like it anymore. That's just a huge, huge development.
0: I will I will wrap with this. Two things. One, don't forget Filmic Pro, like High Flying Bo- Bird, they used Filmic, and I'm, they didn't mention Filmic with the iPhone 13 release, but I'm sure Filmic will do an update. It's an app for your phone that gives you access to less processed footage, like your iPhone does all this processing, like noise correction and color balance to try and make the image as nice as possible. But some of that you don't want to do. So if you are going to seriously shoot something on your phone and install Filmic, it's great. And then the other thing is, so I Googled Ted Lasso episode number to find Beard After Dark to find out more about like, what was going on? why did I? Th- what? And then one of the things that came up was reading an interview with one of the creators who was like, yeah, the internet doesn't seem like a fan of this episode. There's been a lot of hot takes. And so, like, I think other people, like, I think other people also responded to the phoniness, phone ness. It's sort
2: of weird that like Apple doesn't come out. They're not using that as a marketing tactic for that episode. It, they just like shot the whole thing on iPhone, but didn't tell anyone. Was do you think it was like a test?
0: Well, I'm not, I haven't 100% confirmed it yet. I just saw one creator mention, like, oh, and like we also that, like, relates to the decision to shoot iPhone, but like I haven't seen it in a bunch of other interviews. It's not in the tech specs on IMDb. Like, it's interesting. I
1: think that Hmm. you're right. I think that people do notice these things. That's part of my, I think they do. It just function, it's just the noticing happens on a different level. It's not an obvious noticing. It's like someone will say, why are the special effects different? And you're like, well, because they're not as good and they're cartoony and they're, you know, but they won't say like, I know how they were done, if that makes sense. It's like something felt off, you know. Well, but, but that's
0: the process of becoming a filmmaker is learning to be conscious about things that subconsciously affect others.
1: 100%. Like, yeah.
0: Like that's what we do and I you so know, that we can control it.
1: I will also say, because you mentioned filmic, everybody talks about how much lens choice and glass impacts how you craft digital image, how you add character, et cetera, et cetera. And just in my own experience, using Moment lenses on my iPhone to take pictures of my family, I was amazed at how true it really is. Like glass changes the image and suddenly you're like, oh yeah, I've got, a, I've got something now. It's not just the cold digital embrace, you know? So if you're, if you're thinking about doing this and going for the new phone and you're thinking about filmic and you're going to watch all Charles's videos, and I hope you do, think about also
2: Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech.
0: All right, moving on to a less controversial piece of tech news. Aperture has announced the Nova P600C Light, which is twice as bright as their beloved P300C. And we got to talk about it because it's Aperture, which is obviously a favorite with all of our readers. Aperture comes out with, you know, some pretty surprisingly robust products considering their price point. And the P600C is super cool because it is a more powerful unit that is, you know, it's capable of putting out like basically twenty three hundred lux at ten feet with, you know, a CRI of ninety five plus, which is like table stakes at this point. But you can use DMX or Lumen Radio or Citus Link to control this full RGB soft light. And you know, I mean, this isn't going to really come for the sky panel, but it's at a different budget from the sky panel. And for those of us who can't afford sky panels, or those of us for whom a sky panel is like an occasional rental item having the ability to have like a big, powerful, soft light that can actually put out some power, but that gives us full RGB control in the unit is a super perk. There's a few other competitors at this price point that are, like, you know, Godox has a unit that is probably not going to be quite as bright, let's be honest. There's the Titan Roto X, which is a little pricier and probably of equivalent brightness, but like soft and powerful are like a really great combo for an independent filmmaker. And when you're looking at like putting together a package of lights, it's like it's nice that they are so rapidly getting more power output on these units, which is super cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is one of those little more niche, and I have a little less knowledge about it. Is this the kind of is the, is this the kind of release where you would think a lot of people are going to go out and buy these, have them in their kit, or is this a rental piece more? Is this something this is going to
0: be. So, you know, one thing I've noticed, I've been doing a lot of like smaller shoots lately where I'm like, instead of going to a rental house and filling a truck, I'm like, oh, I'll just get like four things from ShareGrid and go do it. And one thing I have noticed is everyone's like, you know, you're you're doing ShareGrid, you're going to people's apartments. Everybody I'm renting from has at least one aperture light sitting in a bag by their doorway. And they're like, yeah, it's just too useful. It's just too nice to always have it. And I book a last minute thing and I can drag it with me. And then like half the ShareGrid rentals I do, it gets thrown on the order. So I think that this, you know, we see a lot of people who own the 600 uh, series punchy lights because a punchy light is a great thing, but frankly, a soft light's probably more versatile. You know, you're doing an interview setup, you're, you're running around doing like a, a quick little narrative setup, you're doing all of that kind of stuff. Like a really nice soft source that gives you full RGB control is just a sweet spot. I mean, I suspect in, in a lot of markets, you're going to see a lot of people that just, this is a purchase item, I think.
1: Wow. That feels like a big deal to me then. Even for like your, you know, one mule team setup, you're saying.
0: Yeah. I think you're going to, I think it's going to be a hit. I think you're going to see a lot of, I think they're going to, pricing is not announced yet, but knowing Aperture, it's going to come in at a price point where where you see it become a really common item. All right. Last news of the week and probably a bigger, longer talking point. We've got some union news or guild news in the WGA's case. That we're going to talk about, and we're going to sort of talk about them together. The first is that the WGA just had a whole new election on their board, and we're going to talk about the results of that. And IATSE, which is sort of the umbrella union that covers all of the motion picture union's you know, like a lot of the other locals are within IATSE, but they also, IATSE is really old. Like it was originally a stagehand union. So it's theatrical, theatrical right? Locals. Theater yeah. hands or something. <laughs> yeah. It started as stagehands and it grew and grew and grew. So IATSE is something that it affects all of our lives. It's a huge deal. IATSE has never really had a major strike. The WGA has had six, the DGA, no, yeah, the WGA has had six. DGA had one and it was three hours long, but the IATSE has never had a big strike. And I think at least part of that is that it's always been so obvious that if they struck, everything would stop, right? Like, if you remember the last big Writers Guild strike in 2008, they struck, and everybody just kept making shit, and the shit just got bad, right? Like, there's all these TV shows where people are like, oh, yeah, writer Strike season. What's the one, Friday Night Lights, where season two was during the writer Strike? And it, was just right. gibberish. it made no sense. And it's like, the writers have power in striking because everything got bad and ratings went bad. But you know the late night shows stayed on. They just stayed on without their writers and the hosts wrote all their own jokes. And you got to see what it was like when people wrote their own jokes without a writers <laughs> room. Um, it was a. It was a. Fa- if you were not a, if you were not aware of the 2008 writer strike, it was a fascinating time. We should do a video on that and include some of the opening monologue bits that were so weak during that period. So, iOtes never really struck because they never really had to because they can get a lot of what they want. But I think that there's been this. Huge push. Part of the wave of that is this amazing Instagram account IA Stories. You should all follow it. It's just people telling their stories of how much it sucks to work in media.
2: I basically have what... been spending like half of my days just reading IA Stories for like the past <sighs> few weeks,
0: and they're all so fucking true. Yeah, it's amazing. I love. I big respect to IA Stories. If anybody knows the IA Stories guys uh, or gals or team, I think they're in Brooklyn. I'd love to uh, say hi. They are right, like part of a wave that basically the pandemic happened and like one of my first thoughts when the pandemic happened was i was like ah shoots are going to have to go to 10 hour days because it's not safe in a pandemic to keep, like keep us late it's going to like lower our immune system we're going to have to and then as soon as production started again in july or august the hours were back to normal the like you know the turnarounds were back to normal lunches were now like you have to eat separately from each other so like the communal period of lunch is taken from you and it's like our working hours suck. It's six day weeks. It's 18 hour days. It's Friday days where you show up at noon on a Friday and you don't get to leave till 6am Saturday morning, which basically eats your Saturday. It's awful. And it's, and it doesn't have to be that way in the sixties, the default shooting day was eight 30 to six. And if they wanted you before eight 30, you got overtime. If they wanted you after six, you got overtime. And it basically like, that was what people shot in the sixties. It's what Nolan still shoots. It. It's what Clint Eastwood still shoots. I can't believe he's still shooting, but whatever. Like it's, <laughs> you can do a, it's what they shoot in France. You can Man, do a movie like, a like this. It's normal
2: freaking job. Yeah. That's crazy. And
0: so it, uh, I think, I, so IA is gonna wants to try and get back to more normal working hours for the people and livable wages. So that if you're working on an IA production, everybody, including the PAs, getting paid a living wage. Because, you know, a lot of this production works in New York and L.A., and the HPA's are getting paid is absolutely criminal. So not everything is public about the negotiations, but we do know that IATSE is asking for higher minimum rates for new media productions. They're asking for some coverage for the deficit in the pension and health plan, adding Martin Luther King day as a holiday and, and they're going to have a strike vote because if they can't get it, they're willing to strike. And that like, that's amazing to me, and I, for one, hope that if they can't get us, like, if the uh, Producers Guild and the uh, Academy don't give a, give IATSE what we need to have a living life, like, we should strike, and entertainment will just stop.
1: I, I have a good friend who I talk to regularly who's a union guy, and we've been talking about this as it's developed and the joke we always have is with each story breaking about it it's quote unquote boring news because it just does not generate a lot of attention and working in media as i do and seeing what does generate like through analytics and such it's always astounding to me and somewhat depressing that the, this story particularly we, we you know we follow this kind of thing we follow strikes and and contract negotiations and things the things that could really impact people's lives long term in this craft in this world. And it's amazing how, how few people click it or read it. But then, not to go on too much of a tangent, but you know, anything Quentin Tarantino says, everybody wants to read. But I think that um, I think it's because the,
2: they're all looking for they are all living the reality. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> looking for a distraction from the That's reality. a good point.
1: Yes. No, that's a good point. I mean, I, you know, we try to do what people, we try to respond to what people want. And But at the same time, this is such important stuff. And I love uh, the stories, the Instagram account, IA Stories, because it does find a way to bring it to social media in a, in a digestible form, in a, in a way that people connect with. I've reached out to them about us sharing and utilizing some of what they have and bringing it to our audience more. But I'm glad we just it came up. We're talking about it now. We can do a shout out. And in talking to my friend in the union, the big fear he has, and he's very active in the union, is that in the end, just like in the past, they will back down and give in to you know, whatever producers demands, whatever limitations are placed. And he has very little confidence that, that this is going to go in a direction he hopes it does.
2: Is that because he, he doesn't have confidence in the union leadership? I think,
1: yeah. And I think also, yeah, I think that that's part of it. I I don't have, I can't get him. I tried to ask him to come on the, go on the record a few times about things, but he doesn't want to do that. But I, I, I think that, I think it's complicated, but it is, it is amazing to consider how much of a shutdown it could bring about. As Charles mentioned, you know, it would be hard to do anything. As a producer, a low, you know, as an indie producer of my uh, on my own in my past, I'm so aware of how much there's a side of things, creatively and above the line and and at all levels that sort of gets frustrated by the time. You know, you're like, but I just want to shoot my thing in two weeks. That's the only way I can get it done. And I can't get it done in two weeks and eight hour days. You know, there's such a push pull. One of the ways this industry grinds against itself is that it's such a dream factory that people think sometimes it's like, but this is the dream, man. Like we're doing it for our art. We're going to make this thing happen and we're going to... And I personally dislike that belief and approach because it devalues the lives and the work of the people who don't get to be a part of your creative dream. If you're you're above the line, if you're... um, a producer, if you're, you know, you are depending on people being exploited essentially to live your dream and the idea that they should want to, you know, work crazy hours and spread themselves thin to achieve something that, you know, is just another paycheck day, you know, that they don't get any piece of that. That that drives me nuts. So I think they should, I want them to get everything they, they ask for more and make it, more difficult, but particularly because when I put on my other hat as a film watcher and viewer, it's like I'm not seeing so much stuff that's so amazing that it's worth hurting people, <laughs> taking advantage of them. Like I'm not seeing, like it's not even like I feel like I, I see a lot of TVs and TV shows and movies where I'm like, wow, whatever it took to get that done, they should, <laughs> it was worth it. I mean, th- that's just such a rare instance where you're just blown away that you think like. We've talked about this before too. It's like if you're out there and you're just watching movies and you don't care about, you know, the inner workings and how the sausage is made and like who makes what, and those people probably aren't listening to this podcast anyway. But regardless, I wish they could understand that the process takes advantage of people oftentimes at the lower levels. And then they could believe, as I do, that it's not worth that because the end result is often not.
2: Well, just, you know, I think the other great thing about what we're seeing in, in IA stories is that it's about understanding where, where our limits are. Like, yes, there's a sort of like physical limit that crews reach when they work on these things, which is, you know, often like 16 hour days for six days in a row for eight weeks in a row. And the industry has essentially pushed all of its workers to that physical limit. You know, time and time again on these jobs. But like in the pandemic, like in every other industry, people are realizing like, okay, wait, it's not just about our, you know, hard physical limit, but actually about our limits in our lives and wanting more balance and wanting better mental health and, you know, just a better quality of life, wanting to not have to keep struggling after 20 years or 30 years of working in the same industry which I feel like in so many other industries, when you've worked for that long, eventually you reach a point where it's, it bege- becomes easier. But in this industry, it really feels like even if you're you know, a well-paid below-the-line worker, the conditions just make it incredibly hard to, to have a decent quality of life. And if you're an underpaid below-the-line worker, like some of the workers that they're going to try to negotiate higher rates for in this potential strike, APOCs, Assistant Production Office Coordinators, art department coordinators, writer's room assistants, script coordinators. Those are all jobs that people will end up working for years at a time. You know, there are some people who do their whole career is as an APOC and they're still making the wages that APOCs were making, you know, 40 years ago. So all that to say, like, I, I, yeah, sending well wishes. (laughs) Like this is long overdue. You know what I mean? While I understand some of your
0: friends' pessimism, George, and, like, Kath, I totally, like, agree that, like, this is so overdue. I also think a union can only go as far as its members want it to go. And one of the reasons I'm so optimistic about this moment is, like, 20 years ago, you know, there's that great documentary, Who Needs Sleep? And it was all about, like, how we don't sleep enough in the film industry and it's killing us all and giving us cancer. And Haskell Wexler was, like, fighting this battle with the union to try and get them to take sleep seriously. And they wouldn't at the time. But, like, it was also so clear that it was Haskell alone out there fighting this fight. And, like, the union membership had all sort of internalized it. There were people interviewed in that who were supporting Harlan. I mean, Haskell, obviously. But then, you know, there are a lot of people that are like, well, this is just life. Like, life is just sleeplessness and, and whatever. And I think that getting back to normal sleep schedules during the pandemic, getting to see our families more during the pandemic, getting perspective again. And also, that thing you just said, Kath, about, like, Rates haven't really gone up in 40 years, right? Like there was a time in the 70s and 80s where these were like good union jobs and you were living in LA and like we forget LA used to be way cheaper than New York. I moved from New York to LA in the year 2000 and I was like, "What? You can live on how little here? This is amazing." LA really it was like 10 to 15 years later than New York and getting pricey. And so like you could have a good union job and like not be making a ton of money but living a good life. That is gone in LA. The rates need to come up to match the cost of living. And there's this, you know, I think there's a much wider renewed focus. I mean, that's one of the things I got out of IA Stories is I remember 10 years ago bitching about the hours on set and people here, people just saying, like, it is what it is. Like, this is what it is. You want to work in this. And then the beauty of IA Stories is like one of those things you get out of social media that 15 or 20 years ago, we could individually bitch to our friends and be like, this sucks. But stuff like IA Stories, many to many communication, is people saying, this sucks, and seeing, oh my God, there's 3,000 likes on this post. 3,000 people agree with me that this is fucking dumb. Totally. And I think that that helps reinforce sort of a a growing movement towards change, and I think that that helps the union fight harder. It's really hard for union leadership to get that far ahead of their membership. There's certainly cases where union leadership is able to be like, guys, we need to go here, and the membership to be like, oh, I didn't even realize that, but yeah, let's go. But like, it is just as often if someone gets too far ahead of their members, they're like, we need to go here. And the union members are like, we need new leadership. So like, it is like, I think it's a combination of, I understand the pessimism in a lot of members, but I think mem- like, I think leadership is, a, is ready to do this from what I can tell. And I think the membership is ready to be like, no guys, like the least among us need to be paid a living wage. Everybody on set needs a living wage and we need to sleep at night. and." have weekends and like people bled for this in West Virginia a hundred years ago. And it was one for almost everybody else. We would like it for us too, please.
2: My hope is that it also filters down to production assistants since there's no union for them. It's just bad.
1: My friend said a lot of members were very upset that there was no mention of the strike at the Emmys. And I said, it's not a big loss since nobody watches the Emmys anyway. Right.
0: Burn! <laughs> All right, that's well that, my late I mean, night.
1: So, in the next time there's a strike, I can be the late night joke writer because that's perfect for like Leno a, or
0: something. That that's perfect for Leno during a strike. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean.
1: Yeah, yeah I'm ready.
0: Yeah. All right, we got we got your your scab joke writers here. <laughs> sorry that was mean, I didn't mean that.
1: <laughs> no that's totally fair <laughs> that's totally fair i i'm gonna have to jump actually not because of that <laughs> well, <let's No>. just, <laughs> or,
0: or should <laughs> we just do our wrap-ups let's just do our wrap-ups uh cool. hey everybody i'm on the internet at charleshane.com uh and i'm working on labor stuff
2: love it uh yeah i'm uh Kath tolentino and i'm a filmmaker producer director You can find me at katherinetolentino.com and at borderwoman.pictures on Instagram.
1: I'm George Edelman, editor-in-chief at No Film School. I'm available to MC bar mitzvahs, sweet 16s, write your jokes if your writers go on strike, dad jokes, (laughs) whatever you need. Uh, I got it. OK,
0: only uh, union bar mitzvahs
1: <laughs> <laughs> when the unions on strike. But also check out everything we talked about and more at NoFilmSchool.com. You can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook. Check us out on Instagram. Be sure to head over to YouTube. We are posting new videos every now and then. And they're great. And I want to bring everyone's attention to our what, whatever Charles got cooking today and tomorrow about the iPhone. I'm excited for us to get it out there for people to see it and for us to talk more about where we're headed in this era, this wild west of new cameras. Thanks so much for listening.